You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, interesting headline, by the way, this morning. You know. <laughs> so I was actually talking to my wife about this the other night. It's that, you know, this, you know, the whole vaccine mandate, everything that's going on, you know, why is there such a, a problem, right? Why, why are so many people so hesitant about, you know, getting the vaccine, et cetera, that we're having to go to these links? And I just thought it was interesting because this morning there's a headline out. Even Reuters is tripping out over the 55-year delay of the release of the Pfizer Vax data. So in 55 years, if you want to find out what the actual testing analysis was for the vaccine— You'll find out in 55 years. That's when they'll actually officially release the test results. So I don't I don't know what that means, but these are why people don't trust stuff that comes out of the government. I'm just saying. Uh, 55 years, I'll be dead. I hope. <laughs> be a, I don't know. I could make it to 111. They may have to prop me. I'd be like kind of a Bernie, you know, weekend at Bernie's. Be weekend at Lance's. <laughs> exactly. Just kind of propped <laughs> up in the corner. Why do you have him sitting in the chair with sunglasses on? He's just waiting on those Pfizer Vax details. <laughs> They're coming any day now. Of course, we're still waiting on the JFK assassination documents, right? There, there you go. Those got delayed till next year. They were supposed to re be released this year, the mm -hmm. CIA files. Yeah. Uh, the Biden administration pushed that off until next year. So we're still waiting on that. So in 55 years, we may be getting pushing that off as mm -hmm. well. So yeah. we'll see. This could be the next great conspiracy, right? Oh, National well. Treasure 3, the search for the facts data. <laughs> <laughs> Along with an inventory of Area 51. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we already know what's at Area 51. I mean, Independence Day Chapter 2 well, told us that story, right? That's, so, that's true. Yes. Right? So we already know what's at, we already know what's at, at that. So anyway. All good stuff. Uh, a couple of things. All right. So we're talking a little bit about, uh, you know, just for the break that, you know, the Santa Claus rally is coming. And I wrote an article today. It's on the website um, discussing the Santa Claus rally. And look, there's a, a lot of people banking on the Santa Claus rally. And look, if you take a look at investor sentiment right now, it's very high. The number of people that have been chasing options, right? So call option speculation is at an all-time high. And most of that's retail investors, a lot of it. Uh, I shouldn't say most of it, but uh, there's a decent chunk of it is retail investors using call options to chase financial markets because honestly, they've been taught there's no risk. If I just buy something, it, it tends to go up in price and I can leverage those upside bets by buying call options. So, uh, you know, I can take a few, rather than say, as a good example, right? Um, in order to buy 100 shares of Amazon, as an example, you know, for most people, that's too large. That's too much money, right? I can't, I can't buy 100 shares of Amazon because it's a, you know, $4,000 stock, whatever it's trading at. So, you know, putting 40 grand or 50 grand, you know, into a stock is just too much money for a lot of people. But I can, for a couple of thousand dollars, I can buy a call option on Amazon and I get the equivalent of owning 100 shares of Amazon because that's what a call option is. So and if you don't understand options, what this, and let me just give you a quick kind of primer here without going into great detail. 
all a call option is is a contract, and there's call options and there's put options, and there you can do a lot of things with them, but all options are, in general, are contracts to buy or sell a security at a certain price at a certain date in the future. So, in other words, as, a, as an example, Brent, you know, wants to buy Amazon at $4,100. I'm just throwing out numbers, okay? And I've got Amazon shares that I own at a much lower cost. And, I, and, and Brent's willing to pay me $10 a contract for every 100 shares I own. So he's going to pay me $10, and I'm going to get that $10 a share. And I'm going to give him the right to buy those shares from me in March of 2022 at $4,100. Now, here's the thing about this. If the shares of Amazon are above $4,100, or in this case, that's called the strike price. If they're above $4,100, Brent can call me and have, and let's say, let's say the shares go crazy. They're $4,500. Well, Brent can call me and have me deliver my shares of Amazon to him at $4,100. So immediately he's got a huge gain on his position. And he spent $10 a contract for doing that. If the con if the if the contract doesn't get to or if the, if the shares don't get to forty one hundred dollars, then the contract expires worthless. Here's the key point: the contract expires worthless. the The ten dollars that he paid me, I keep, and I still keep my shares. So Brent loses the entirety of that investment, and that's the important thing here to understand. Options are an all or none game. It's not a partial game, considering, and, and this is assuming you hold things to maturity, right? But either the contract will mature in your favor or you will lose all your money. It's an all or nothing bet. It's like playing poker. And this is why they're very speculative. You get a lot of leverage for using options contracts, but you also have the very large potential of losing all of your money. In fact, historically speaking, you know, if you go back over time, the percentage of contracts that expire worthless are very high. Um, I've seen numbers range anywhere from 80 to 90 percent. I don't have the exact number, but they're very high. The, you know, most of the time these contracts expire worthless. And, and look, there's lots of good uses for options. We use options in our in our what we call our platinum portfolio here at our shop for higher net worth individuals. We use it for hedging. We use it for risk mitigation. We use it for income, right? We write calls on certain positions that we're willing to sell at a higher price to collect the income. So there's some very good benefits from using options and portfolios to hedge risk, to reduce potential loss, to create income, Options can be very beneficial for that. Options can be used for speculative purposes, you know, betting on prices to go higher, and that's okay. It's just important to understand what the dynamics of the game are. Right now, there's a lot of retail traders that are trading options that really don't understand the implications of trading options. And that this and that they stand to potentially lose a lot of money if the market corrects very quickly. And it happens. Happens more than you think. <laughs> so, 
you know, that's but that's that's what I'm saying. You have a lot of lot of speculation in the markets right now. So expectations are by the end of this year that this market is just going to keep going up. So the the point of the article today is simply talking about the Santa Claus rally, which is the last week of the year. The Santa Claus rally generally occurs between the day follow, the trade first trading day following the Christmas holiday and the end of the year. And that's generally because mutual funds, pension funds, hedge funds, money managers, et cetera, are all repositioning for that end of year reporting. So right after the end of the year, all you know, everybody has to send out their annual reports. This is what our fund did last year. Here's the positions we own. And they want to make sure and have all the right positions on their portfolio, right? So they want to own the Teslas or whatever. They may not have owned it all year, but they buy it in the last five days of the year. So when the report goes out, it says, hey, we own Tesla, right? Whatever it is, whatever the hot stock is. This is what we call window dressing. But because of that window dressing, you generally get this rally in the last few days of the year. Now, does it always happen? No, it doesn't always happen. 2018 is a good example. It happens often, but it doesn't always happen. So right now, the expectations are this market is just going to keep going up this week and next week and the week after and the week after that. And we're just going to be at higher highs by the end of the year. There's a few things, though, that are going to be occurring over the next two weeks that maybe apply could could apply some pressure markets. One of the things we talked about is mutual fund distribution. So before we get to the end of the year, where mutual funds begin to window dress their portfolios, they've got to make their annual distributions. Now, in a market where you've got very little liquidity. And you've got very little volume, which is what's been going on lately. You've got, and the breadth has been extraordinarily weak in the markets. Any additional selling pressure could put some downward pressure on prices in the next two weeks following Thanksgiving. And as I told you before, you know, what happened yesterday in the markets, what happens today in the markets, don't even pay attention to it because it's Thanksgiving week, nobody's around, everybody's gone. Uh, you know, trading is basically run by inmates running the asylum. We've talked about this. The point, though, is next next couple of weeks, there'll be some additional selling pressure that with the market that's already internally very weak may lead to a decline in prices. That will be your setup to position for that end of the year Santa Claus rally. Now, is that a guarantee that if you position for Santa Claus rally, it will come? No, it's not. But the odds are very high that it will. So it's 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 a it's a it's a worthwhile bet to position your portfolio for it if we get some weakness over the next two weeks. Now, if we don't get any weakness over the next two weeks, then just sit where you are. But any type of corrective action we get, and look, there's plenty of historical precedents that in the first two weeks of December, you typically get a bit of a sell-off. And again, nobody's expecting one, so that even makes it a higher probability that we may see some weakness over the next couple of weeks, given the current kind of extent and deviation of markets for moving averages and overbought conditions. So that article is on the website. I go through all of it, where the breakpoints are. On the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. When we come back from the break, got some uh, other stuff to get into this morning. We'll talk about the strongest consumer spending. And are we going to get another spending bill next year? Goldman Sachs thinks go. We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
and welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.33 on this uh, Tuesday as we get ready to head into Thanksgiving. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a, a, a very light day in terms of the markets because everybody's already gone. Uh, mentally, they're gone today. Uh, physically, they'll be gone tomorrow. Thursday, they'll be, you know, stuffing their face. And then Friday's a tryptophan-induced coma day. So, you know, that's, you know, this week is pretty much done today. Uh, Brent, uh, you know, when, when you do Thanksgiving at your house, right, does, mm-hmm. you know, all the kids, family come over? Sometimes. Sometimes. Depends, depends on which this, year. Right. Is it this year? I'm traveling this year. You're, where, where are you heading to? Nash Vegas. Nash Vegas. like it. So when are you taking any food there with you? Yes. So what, do you, what, what, is, what is your dish? Do you have a dish that you cook every year? I, we did not rehearse this, ladies and gentlemen. I know. I am bringing a box of Death Wish coffee K-Cups. That's your. That's what. That's you're my contribution. See, my thing is, is, is I, I started doing this about when my kids were little. Uh-huh. I make, I'm because they like mashed potatoes, so yeah. I started making these four cheese mashed potatoes, and there, and every year they keep, they demand that I make these <laughs> potatoes, right? So, four cheeses. Four cheeses. Wow. Yeah. Oh, they're just, they're, yeah, they're not for dieters. <laughs> So, but they're very good, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But every year, that's the demand. It's like the first thing that comes up is like, okay, Dad's making potatoes. What else are we doing, right? right. So it's all yeah. good. Um, but my dad's, my my wife's father, right? My my father-in-law, he makes the stuffing every year. Ah. Right. Do you ever have anybody in your family that makes some dish that nobody really likes? Yes. Yeah. And every year they bring that dish it's, anyway. It's the green bean salad that's kind of scary looking. Okay. So every yeah. year. He makes this stuffing, right? <laughs> In the back of the stove, where nobody can see it, there is always a pot of stovetop stuffing. <laughs> Out of the box, right? That gets eaten first. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. But no, it's gone. It's like, and nobody, right? It's a see, it's a family secret. There's mm. only a few people that know what's in that pot that's in the back of that oven. And it's the soap top stuffing. And so you'll see people sneaking in there, getting stuffing on their plate, you know, be, <laughs> trying to avoid. Looks good. Trying to avoid <laughs> yeah. the, the, the one dish, right? So yeah, this is all going on at our house this year. Mm-hmm. So Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So every, yeah, everybody's coming over on Thursday. To the new Roberts Diggs. Exactly. Well, so here's the other thing too, right? So I was listening this morning that turkeys are plumper this year, right? Really? Turkeys are bigger. So when you go to buy your turkey... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're bigger this year. And because, of course, the per pound cost is higher. Well, so. the per pound, but yeah. because of the supply chains and all that type of stuff, uh-huh. turkeys were sitting around longer before they were getting slaughtered and sent. So they grew ah, bigger, right? Yeah. So when you go to buy your turkey, you're going to get a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit fatter turkey this yeah. year. Should go a long so, way. Yeah. And th- which means that when your wife is, is there and picking out the turkey, you don't say, get the plump one, <laughs> right? You should say, buy that one. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's going to, but see, we don't eat turkey in my house. No. I don't like turkey. Ah. Never have. No. I, I got, my dad never liked turkey. I've never liked turkey. It's dry. It's one of those things. So we always do. We, so our, you know, while everybody's trying to scramble over the turkeys, we're mm. buying brisket. Yeah, baby. So yeah, that's we're what having, I'm talking about. We have brisket. And, mm-hmm. and my wife always orders like from Honey Bay Cam, she'll order a, like a small turkey breast. It's token. Token it's, it's the token turkey breast, right? <laughs> <laughs> but generally, it's mostly ham, brisket, sausage. So you rib. don't think you'd like smoked turkey? 
No, I, I I like smoked turkey. Yeah. Right. And and fried turkey's okay. Yeah. But I'm just it, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's so it's not the first choice. Yeah. Yeah. If you put a fried turkey on the table and a pound of brisket, I'm going for the brisket. <laughs> I'm just I'm just it's like I'm from Texas. Okay. So that's right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Good luck to you. Turkey stories. <laughs> It's Turkey Tuesday. Now, with the plumper turkeys, does that mean that uh, Thanksgiving leftovers are going to last longer this year? Yeah, they better because you're going to pay $54 more this year for a turkey feast than you did last year. Zounds. For people, for uh, for 10? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. 54 more? Mm -hmm. Inflation, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Has nothing to do with gas prices. (laughs) But we digress. We digress. All right. Uh, so uh, just for the break, I was talking about, you know, just recently we passed the Build Back Better bill, right? So, all right. So we passed the infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion. Now we've passed the, in the House, clear. In the House, we passed the $1.7 Build Back Better plan. Here's the issue with this. So, first of all, there's already provisions in the Build Back Better plan that are going to get some some eject, rejections in the Senate. A couple of them are for political reasons, but one, uh, you know, particularly particularly one of the the things that's in the Build Back Better plan can't be used during the reconciliation process. Now, we have to go back a little bit. We've talked about the reconciliation process before. But the reconciliation process has to be done under the budgetary rules. This is part of the budget process. So just to clarify the difference, if I want to pass a bill, I can pass a bill on anything, right? I want to pass a bill to put green cheese in a rocket ship and send it to the moon just so I can tell my kids the the moon is made of cheese, right? I can pass a bill for a trillion dollars to do that because that's what it would cost, right? Not four cheeses? Not four cheeses, just one. Okay. Blue cheese. Context. Exactly. So I can pass that bill, but that bill has to go through the normal voting process. I pass it in the House. It goes to the Senate. The Senate will need to pass it with 60 votes because that's what they've chosen to do. Um, And that's how that bill would get passed. However, if I want to pass a bill with only a 51-vote margin, then I have to do it under the budgetary process. So that budgetary process is the House you know, writes a budget, they send it to the Senate, the Senate votes on it, and for the budget process, they only need 51 votes. So in this case, the Senate could pass whatever spending bill that the House, uh, sorry, the Senate can pass any bill that the House proposes with just 51 votes, as long as it's part of the budget process. That has to be done under what's called reconciliation. This is where basically the Build Back Better plan is being done as part of the budget, and it's sent to the House. Uh, the, the House sends it to the Senate. The Senate makes their changes, and then it goes back to the House to be voted on with the new changes, and that's called reconciliation. So they reconcile the, the two proposals together and send the budget to the president to sign. Okay, so... That can be done with 51 votes, and and they've got the Democrats have that. They've got 50 senators, and they've got Kamala Harris, which would be the tie-breaking vote as vice president. Okay. Why is all that important, and who cares? The reason it's important to understand is that 
the items that go into the bill have to be budget-related. That's the key point. There's going to be a difficult process here trying to get immigration reform that they want to do, that's in the bill, by the way, passed because it's not actually part of the budgetary process. So that's going to be one of the issues that they're going to have difficulty trying to get passed through. Of course, you know, this is, you know, there's been lots of speculation on the, the whole immigration part of the bill anyway. You know, giving money to illegal immigrants is kind of a, a, a thorny thicket to run through. So that's going to be, but because it's not part of the budgetary process, it's probably going to get, have to get stripped out of the bill. Paid leave, infrastructure and climate spending. Um, as an example, there's about $28 billion in hard infrastructure spending and tens of billions in fundings for electric vehicles uh, on top of the amounts of the recently enacted infrastructure bill. There's going to be some centrist Democrat opposition to that, um, including provisions that were supposed to have been dealt with only in the earlier infrastructure bill. State and local taxes, this is another one that's going to be a bit of a problem. So the state and local tax deduction, we've talked about this previously, used to be $10,000. So in before the Trump administration, um, if you lived in an income tax state where you have a state income tax, you could deduct ten thousand of that on your inc of of the of the state and local tax. You could deduct ten thousand of that off of your federal taxes. So you got a tax deduction, so to speak, on your federal income taxes because you paid state and local. They've now increased that. To, uh, don't quote me on the number, but I think it went to eighty thousand, somewhere around there, seventy-two to eighty thousand, something like that, in the bill. Now, the problem with that is, is, and we've talked about this before, is that non-tax income states like Texas, as an example, or Florida, where you don't have a state and local income tax, those taxpayers are subsidizing people that live in state income taxes, uh, states with income taxes, because, again, the taxes have to get paid. And if people in a state and local income tax state are getting a rebate on their federal taxes for the taxes they paid locally, we're paying taxes locally as well. We just don't call it a state income tax. We call it property taxes. Uh, <laughs> um, that is being subsidized through the federal taxes that we're paying because states without a state and local income tax, they don't get a break, right? They, they're paying all their federal income taxes. So that's a bit of a, uh, another kind of one of those thorny thickets that, uh, that, that may run into some opposition. Also, of course, you know, this whole idea that you're providing the wealthy another tax break is not going to go well with some of the centrist Democrats. So this all kind of sets up potentially for a cut down in the, in the current Build Back Better plan. And what Goldman Sachs is estimating is that that sets up potentially the opportunity for the Democrats to pass another spending plan next year going into the midterm elections to try to essentially buy votes. Come back from the break, wrap up the show. Don't go away. You know, they say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Yes. Yeah. As it turns out, while many of I'm reading uh, just headlines this morning, there's been a bunch of really good headlines this morning. Some jobs are still in huge demand. The headline goes, as it turns out, while many employers are struggling to find workers, some jobs are still seeing huge demand from potential job seekers. 
One of those jobs, as it turns out, is in the field of a Las Vegas exotic dancer. <laughs> According to TMZ, Club Ice is a new uh, strip joint in Vegas as its owners hosted open tryouts for dancers this week at Bloom Lounge on the outskirts of the town. TMZ was told that more than a thousand girls signed up to try out. In fact, <laughs> pictures, scenes from the event, there's like, a, it looks like church, pretty much. There's, it's like a big open area, like oh, a big okay. arena type yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got these folding chairs just set up, and there's just all these girls sitting in these chairs watching other girls dance and try out, right? So they are just got a thousand girls signed up. Well, it starts to get a little bit rowdy. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Get a little bit rowdy. In the video obtained by TMZ, viewers can hear one of the event organizers telling everyone to take a step back to avoid an Astroworld crush situation because yeah, oh. <laughs> they're all getting out of hands. You can be heard yelling at the crowd. Y'all going to try and trample each other? Y'all not going to be suing me? Sit down. <laughs> an Astroworld yeah. event. Wow. So, but, so, you know, if you're having trouble finding a job, Las mm -hmm. Vegas is hiring Brent. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> not going to go there. <laughs> not going to go there. Wouldn't be prudent. No, not at all. <laughs> but like I said, just, you know, uh, these are these are things that you will only see at this phase. You know, this is going to be one of these events. We're going to look back in a few years and go, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Tryouts for Vegas showgirls. I know, right. Uh. You know, they're known What could possibly go wrong? No, nothing. And look, look, uh, girls are known to travel all around the country. They, they run circuits, right? And because they're always looking for fresh customers. And, you know, we, we talked about this on the show before when North Dakota, as an example, these little small towns in North Dakota were hitting these kind of these shell oil filled booms, right? And this was during the boom times in shell oil fields. Um, all these strippers would show up because you got all these roughnecks with just wads of cash because there's nothing to do in these small towns, right? I mean, they're literally drilling in towns where there's like a grocery store, a bank, and a gas station, and, the, and like four houses. And the gas station is the grocery store. <laughs> and the gas station, yeah. and the post office, yeah. right? Um, hey, it's, uh, it's supply and demand it, manifest. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and so these girls would make these trips, mm -hmm. and they would just clean up money. So, again... They're, they're known for traveling around. So when this new club is opening up, they're all showing up because it's going to be the hot new club, right? Yeah. So. I once worked with a uh, physical trainer mm -hmm. at a gym. He was a stripper? or He was not. Oh, he was not. But okay. interestingly, yeah. because of Houston's reputation as that kind of place, right. you know, he approached several of these women and said, look, if you will let me train you, you will have a longer career and you'll make more money. Genius. Yeah. There was a, my, my wife and I went to this comedy club here in town and they do skits mm -hmm. and it's a three man skit. Now this was, this was a while back, right? Um, in fact, this was when Bush and uh, Clinton were running. Not, 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 sorry, not Clinton, uh, Gore. Oh, okay. Bush and Gore yeah. were running yeah, yeah. for president. And the skit was, is that Bush and Gore were coming into town to campaign, coming into Houston. And so as 
the whole skit was each one of the guys was the taxi driver uh-huh. and the other two guys were the presidents. And every time they would get into the taxi driver, they'd go, I need to go here for this event, wherever that event was. And and the taxi driver would say, well, what strip club is that next to? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they navigated the yeah. entire city of Houston was by, you know, where, where are you going and what strip club is that next to? Because if you knew that, you knew exactly where to go to. Sad but true. It's sad but true. I'm not sure it's that way. I don't know if it's that way anymore. It was back in the early, like early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, go, go 90s. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's still that way today, but. I never knew. Yeah. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Ask your son. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he was in Hunts, Vegas at those times. Really? Yeah. Gotcha. In college. All right. All right, point, let's get back point, to the show. Got some point, point here. <laughs> Sorry for the divergence. This is what happens on the day before the day before Thanksgiving. I know, right? Yeah. It's just it's just we're running out of material here pretty quick as we kind of get ready to go wrap up the show. A uh, couple of things though to to uh, remind you. So, you know, one of the things that kind of keeps going on here, and again, we've talked about this on the show several times, and we've been writing about this a lot lately, is about interest rates and. You know, there's a lot of conversation right now about interest rates going up because we have inflation. Interest rates have to go up because interest rates are low and interest rates have to go up because we have inflation. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, right now, if you pay attention to what's going on, yes, interest rates are going up on the short end of the curve. But the longer end of the curve is really not going anywhere. And we're starting to flatten out that yield curve. And Part of that is because if interest rates start to rise in the long end, you have a a very highly leveraged economy that is dependent upon low interest rates in order just to maintain economic activity. And we've talked about this before. um, And in fact, we touched on this in this past weekend's newsletter as well. We have more companies now than ever on record that are dependent upon low interest rates to refinance debt in order to stay alive. This is what we call zombie companies. Zombie companies feed on cheap debt to stay alive. And if interest rates go up and they can't refinance their debt, you're going to have a massive amount of bankruptcies coming through the economy. This is why the Fed was so quick to act during the uh, pandemic shutdown is all of a sudden these companies were locked out of being able to get access to credit. And this is why they were talking about bailing out airlines and bailing out rental car companies, bailing out all these, you know, bailing out all these different industries. Because and that's why the Fed started buying junk, junk, junk bond ETFs. Is so it provided a facility for the issuance of debt for these companies so they could stay in business. If they weren't able to to finance that, refinance that debt at low rates, they would have gone out of business. And that's the real risk that we run. And that that problem has not gotten better, by the way. It's gotten worse because the policies that we've been running are teaching everyone, not just investors, but business owners and CEOs, et cetera, that you know, there is no risk in taking on more risk. In fact, it's kind of one of those stories where, you know, if you owe the bank, we've talked about this story, you know, the old story is if you owe the bank $100,000, it's your problem. If you owe the bank a million dollars, it's their problem. And that's kind of the idea now is that some of these companies have so much debt outstanding, the banks can't afford to let them go out of business because they can't take on the default rate. 
So that's why every time we get into financial trouble, you see a lot of activity by the Federal Reserve and other entities trying to bail out these companies to try to protect the banks that took on all this excess risk of lending money to companies that really couldn't afford to pay it back. And we're seeing this to a large degree of what's happening right now. I did a I went and hosted a mergers and acquisition event uh, last week. And the general conversation was, is, man, everything is great. We have more business than we know what to do with right now. Money is just literally laying in street corners. You know, if you need money, just, you know, go look in any gutter because there's just money laying there waiting for you to pick it up. And when you're in that type of environment, what happens is you wind up funding a lot of companies that you shouldn't fund. And we see this almost every day with companies going public that make no revenue. In fact, we have more companies going public right now that have no revenue than we did in the late 90s. Company came out the other day that uh, their IPO went up like 120%. They make $35,000 a year in revenue. So that's the problem here. You have a lot of speculation in the markets, a lot of risks. And it's because we simply have so much liquidity that's flowing into the markets and, and there's just money coming in from everywhere and and, if, and it's just hard to fathom where all this money's coming from and the question is and as, as I said before we you know before we left the break is what happens next right that's the question this money flow that's coming in it will end it's just not going to maintain this pace of inflows into the markets and the economy indefinitely right the money's got to come from somewhere and yes it's coming from debt is where it's coming from but there's a limit to that debt where's the limit to that debt it's when interest rates start going up and the fed is already talking about raising interest rates or maybe the real question is that the fed can never rate rate uh, raise high <laughs> hike rates at all. Maybe it's all good rhetoric at this moment that, oh, yeah, we're going to hike rates three or four times next year to combat inflation. But reality is, is they really can't. Not without causing another equity market downturn. And that's the one thing that they don't want to do because if you get a decline in the equity market, you impact consumer confidence. And consumer confidence is already weak because of inflationary pressures. So you've really gotten your the Fed's really got themselves into a very very tight corner here that really doesn't have a lot of room for error. Yet that's probably the one thing that is going to be the big issue in 2022, which is going to be a policy error. But don't worry about that right now. We got Santa Claus rally coming up. Look for a bit of a pullback in the market over the next couple of weeks. Not much, you know, one, two, three percent, whatever. A little bit of a pullback. Use that as an opportunity to put some capital to work. Uh, make sure and do some of your tax loss harvesting. Be sure and sell your kind of your losers for the year. Set those off against some of your gainers. Rebalance your portfolio. That's always a good, prudent exercise as we get into the month of December. Help reduce your taxes for next year. I'm sure uh, Danny and Richard will talk about that uh, here on one of the Friday shows coming up as well. Uh, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our Santa Claus Rally article is out. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.